So with that said, I'm going to jump into the message for today. Um, you know, something that occurred to me while we were worshiping, um, it, you know, we are in a room full of people, but at the same time during worship, like you hear the person next to you and it sounds kind of like this. It sounds like, oh, praise and you know, it sounds a little bit funny and muffled. Um, there was a, a quick flashback that I had as we were worshiping, and Gina actually reminded me of it this past week. A few years ago, we were at a prayer meeting where, where we were praying for North Koreans um, and the persecuted church in North Korea. And one of the things that they actually had us listen to was a recorded prayer from an underground church in North Korea. And you would think it's like fire. And you think like, man, if they're defying all odds and they're going against the government and they're still meeting and gathering, like it's going to like shake the room. But because obviously because of the persecution, they can't do that. And so the prayer like sounded like this the whole time. It was like, you know, like it, it was like a whispered prayer. And it was like for five minutes. It was probably like the most anointed prayer I've ever heard. Just this like. The sense of like, it doesn't need to be loud. It doesn't need to like draw crowds, but it's sincere from the heart. And this is all I can give to God. And he so honors it and he so answers it. I remember like listening to it and being so moved and so touched and so challenged in how our worship and how our prayer moves the heart of God. When sometimes we get so caught up in the form, we get so caught up in the volume, we get so caught up in what it sounds like to other people. But my prayer is that during this season where, you know, we do get to meet in this way, that our muffled worship to God would sound so beautiful. It'd be so anointed, such a sweet sound in God's ears as we gather together in this way. And so I am just so excited that we get to do this, you know, muffled or not muffled. It doesn't matter. It's something that pleases the Lord. And I'm just glad that we get to do this. Right. So we every, we're going to take every week that we are allowed to get. So if the government continues to allow us to meet at this capacity, we're going to try to continue to meet in this way. We obviously are going to keep everybody's safety a priority. Uh, we, you know, the leadership of our church, we don't believe that it blesses the heart of God when we put people at like intentionally at risk. Um, so we want to make sure that we are giving him all of our worship, but we are also, you know, being very careful in terms of uh, safety measures and precautions. So we're going to be, you know, holding to that moving forward as well. So today feels very full circle in many ways, because right around this time last year, actually, was one of our last quote unquote normal services. If you guys remember, the first Sunday of March was when we completely reverted to full online, uh, you know, streaming services. So the last two weeks of, of February, we were wrapping up a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And those were the last quote unquote, full capacity, normal worship services. And so it feels so full circle to find ourselves here today once again. And since then, you know, I need to commend this community. It was a very difficult time to feel connected. And that is something that we take into account. It's not always easy if you've been on your computer the whole week to tune in to YouTube Live at the end of your week, you know, and, you know, be a part of an online service. It's not easy to be creative in reaching out and going on Zoom to meet with your house church and gathering in small groups. It's not easy. And I've been so moved and so pleased to see this community responding with so much love and so much faith. 
whatever the season has required, I feel like this community has risen to the occasion and really loved in a way that has honored the Lord. At this time last year, um, I challenge our community, you know, to, yes, remain confident in God's goodness, his ability to preserve us through times of shaking, but also to embrace the limitations put on by the pandemic as a way of loving your neighbor. It means that it's going to be inconvenient. It means that, I mean, who doesn't want to, you know, let's get rid of the masks and let's just, you know, do whatever. Like, who wouldn't want that? But in good conscience, for us as a community, we want to love one another in the best way we can. And that means embracing the limitations put on by this pandemic. So, you know, in every creative way possible, you know, we've been trying to stay connected throughout this last year. And I know that it has been very challenging. Now, as we look forward to what the year 2021 holds for this community, and as we celebrate actually having finished our first two membership classes, and now we have our house church signups open, we have people joining our ministry teams, and we're finally now meeting in person, I feel very urgently in my heart that I don't want to miss this opportunity to emphasize just how crucial community is going to be for the year 2021. I think it's easy for me to emphasize, hey, the sufficiency of Christ, the importance of prayer, the importance of remaining in the word. These things have always been true. But I feel like specifically for this year 2021, I want to emphasize the importance of community. As hard as it is, I exhort you, remain connected. Remain connected. This is going to be for your good and also for the good of the community. I felt so urgently I needed to say this because we don't know how many times we're going to be able to meet in this way at limited capacity in this room. And so I don't want to miss this opportunity to say, make sure whether we're here next week or not, stay connected. Go out of your way to seek people. Go out of your way to reach out. Go out of your way to ask for help. It's going to require everybody to take action. And so today I'm going to be preaching from a passage in Mark 2. And the message is titled, Carrying One Another. Carrying One Another. So we'll be reading from Mark chapter 2. I'll be reading from the ESV. If you don't have your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to um, look up to the front. And we have some slides for you here. Mark chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2. It reads... And when he returned, Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they kept... When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they led down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, this is such an incredible instance in the Bible where we not only see God moving in power, but the faith of man moving God to move. Does that make sense? The faith of man, the audacity of man pulling on God in faith to have him move. Jesus was drawing crowds maybe by the hundreds. He was swamped by people clamoring to get healed. And this paralytic is brought to him. Can you imagine like if I was in the middle of a sermon and then you hear like, and then like bits of like rubble started coming down. And then you saw like somebody's hand kind of crawling through the roof and you saw like somebody being low. That would be as disruptive as it gets. And you better have faith. That what you're doing is right and you're bringing them to the right person. That that person has a power to do something about your problem. And so as this paralytic is being brought down to him, Jesus, almost as if, you know, he was playing dumb, almost as if he was playing dumb, even before he talks about the fact that he's obviously a paralytic, he obviously can't walk. This is probably the reason why he's here. Instead of addressing that, he first addresses a less obvious need that he has. And it's not an affliction of the body, but it's an affliction of the soul. You see, in these days, people who suffered illnesses, it was often thought that they brought it upon themselves. You must have sinned. And that's why you're a paralytic. If you didn't sin, then maybe your parents sinned, and that's why you're a paralytic. If someone had a chronic disease, maybe there was sin in their lives, or maybe their parents had sinned, and whether it was spoken or unspoken, these people lived a tortured life, wondering if maybe they deserved it. Maybe this is my lot. Maybe I'm getting exactly what I deserve. But Jesus, in his kindness, He saw this man who maybe didn't even fully understand that he was looking for absolution of the soul and not just healing of the body. He was looking for a breaking off of the shame, a breaking off of the accusation. And the first thing that the son of man says to this paralytic man is, son, your sins are forgiven. These seem like such simple words, right? But for someone who's lived a tortured life, those words are just everything. They are everything. Being called a son and being told that whatever sin they thought, 
made them deserve their current condition, that those things are taken care of. It was somebody who not just needed to receive physical healing, but someone who carried a wounded soul. And these words allowed him to breathe once again. They allowed him to lift up his head once again. They allowed him to have dignity in the eyes of man once again. And then to prove that Jesus was not only the Lord of salvation that brings forgiveness to the sinner, but that he was also the Lord over sickness and affliction, he said, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And for the first time, someone who never imagined himself walking once again begins to walk. Now, this is the amazing account of God's power. But what I'd like us to focus on today is actually what it took for that miracle to happen. So as we walk through this passage together, I'm going to ask three questions. The first question that will confront our selfishness and our jealousy is, will you help carry someone else to Jesus? Will you help carry someone else to Jesus when it's inconvenient, when it's disruptive, when maybe your reputation is on the line? Am I my brother's keeper? That's a question that was uttered by Cain in Genesis, and humanity has echoed the same sentiment over and over and over again in history. This is, there's a part in us where we ourselves, you know, when when we're waiting for our own breakthrough and we see somebody else get that breakthrough or get it first or get it easier or get it better. There's a part in us that asks, but what about me? What about me? How come he gets his breakthrough? What about me? Haven't you heard my prayers too? Don't you see me waiting as well? Do I not get an answer As well, there's a part in us that says, but what about me? Now, what I love about this account is that after the first mention of the friends, after it says that they carried the friend all the way to where Jesus is, they probably saw that the house was completely stuffed and they could not get in. They're probably fighting crowds by then. They're like, okay, we're going to climb this building. And so Four men are carrying another grown man and they climb up the building and they begin to tear down the roof and then they lower their paralytic friend towards Jesus. After that, it doesn't say they also got their own breakthroughs. It doesn't say that Jesus gave them a high five. It doesn't even say their names. It says nothing about them after what they did. They tore through the roof, lowered their friend to where Jesus was, And they were happy to watch their friend get that breakthrough. This is such a clear picture of what it looks like, not just to hope for someone's breakthrough, but to fight for it, to pay the cost for it, to go through the inconvenience for it, and to genuinely rejoice, to be able to celebrate in someone else's breakthrough. This past season, as we've been unable to meet, I've actually experienced so many instances of this um, through, you know, 
cacao chat groups, through Zoom groups, you know, through small pockets here and there where someone will bring their prayer request, something that they can't carry on their own. And I've watched just in delight this community rallying around these individuals, praying for them, really contending for their breakthrough, encouraging them when they need encouragement. I've seen this happen over and over again this last year and has really made my heart swell. This is what community is about. It's when you need community the most, that's when they're there. And that's when they believe for you, they have faith for you. And I know that this year holds many more opportunities for us to do that. 2021, I'm sure, will bring its own set of challenges. But I know that there is more of the sacrificial love that we are called to embody. We will see God moving in our midst. We will see signs and wonders and miracles. We will see breakthroughs, salvations, healing, renewal of hearts as we learn to carry one another before Jesus. Jesus saw the perseverance and the audacity of these friends who dared to climb a building and break through a roof. And he didn't even look at the paralytic. He looked at his friends and then he said, son, your sins are forgiven. He gave forgiveness and healing because of the sacrificial love of his friends. So will you help carry someone else to Jesus when we are in crisis management mode? When we are barely keeping our heads above water, this is the last thing on our minds. You know, you're just busy trying to make it through. Who has time to care about someone else's prayer requests? Who has time to reach out to someone else? But that's how you end up more and more isolated, more and more helpless and further away from your breakthrough. My encouragement is don't wait for the perfect time for you to help someone else. That time will never come. We, I waited all 2020 for that opportunity. It never came, right? We're, we're, we can't be waiting for an ideal time when everything, all my ducks are in a row. Everything is settled. There is no crisis. There is nothing unexpected. Okay, now I can finally, you know, reach out to someone else. Now I can actually pray for someone else. Let's not wait for that opportunity because it might never come. My encouragement is with whatever you have in every given moment, will you help someone draw close to Jesus? Will this year be a year where we learn to do that as a family? Because often when we are going through our own struggles, the enemy comes in and he tells us, nobody cares about you actually. Nobody notices that you haven't been to Sunday. Nobody notices that you've suddenly dropped out of house church. Like nobody even remembers you. The enemy will come and plant those lies. And if we as brothers and sisters can't prove the opposite, If we can't reach out, if we can't help someone who's struggling, what chance is there for someone else to do that for us when we are going through our time of trouble as well? I encourage you, help carry someone else to Jesus, whether you get credit for it or not, whether you just get to watch from a distance somebody else get their breakthrough and you inwardly rejoice for them, but help carry someone else to Jesus. This is going to put to death, a spirit of selfishness and jealousy that we inherently carry. Second question is, will you let others carry you to Jesus? 
Will you, will you be the paralytic man? Sometimes it's easier to put yourself in the shoes of one of the four friends, right? They're kind of the heroes of the story. You know, they break through a roof. It's like super like hardcore, like, yeah, that's their faith. But you know, the paralytic man, sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in the paralytic man's shoes. This confronts our self-reliance and our pride. Because for some people, depending on your personal leaning, and I know this is true for myself, it's actually easier for me to help someone else than it is for me to receive help. Does that make sense? I was raised in such a way where I'm taught to like, hey, if you go through hard times, you suffer quietly. You know, you deal with it by yourself. You can talk to others about how difficult it was after the fact. But when you're going through it, you do it quietly. You don't, you don't go around asking for help. You don't broadcast it to the world. You just need to deal with it on your own. I was taught to deal with the messier parts of my life privately, to help others, but not to ask for that in return. I was taught that the world is unfair and that if you want to get a chance to do things, you better do your part. You better earn your way, better know what you're doing, better have it all together. I was taught to, uh, to suppress my weaknesses and exalt my strengths. And in some ways, you know, life is unfair like that, right? To some extent, that's a world we live in. But the part that I need to understand more deeply as a follower of Christ is that all of life is grace. Everything I have is grace. None of it was earned. None of it was bought by myself through my own price. All of life is grace. I need people. I need help. I need mercy. And I know for sure that if I look back in my life, probably at my greatest moments of challenge and greatest moments of loneliness, I know that what happened then, it wasn't that I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. It wasn't that I figured out a way and I made it through. It was actually brothers and sisters in Christ that came alongside me, that inconvenienced me at times, that prayed for me, that made sure that I was doing okay. And that's the only reason why I'm here today. If it wasn't for brothers and sisters in Christ that reached out to me, I don't think I would be here today. Even in the last year, there's been people that I've been reaching to where I picked up the phone more than I ever had before. Like, hey, I just need to talk to somebody. Hey, I need to hear your thoughts. Hey, can you pray for me? I've done that more than ever before in the last year. And it seems like God in some way was actually intentionally doing that. Almost like tying my hands behind my back until I realized that I cannot make it out of this hole by myself. And I need help. I need community. I need family. It's like God was trying to make a point. And he was saying, let this year teach you that you need community. And you need to let others carry you to Jesus. The illusion of a self-made man or a self-made woman, a completely independent person that's only here to help others but never really needing help themselves, that person is a myth. We're called to be a part of a community to give and receive help, to give and receive grace, 
And there's no way around it. Sooner or later, we're all going to see one another's weaknesses. Sooner or later, we're going to have to both give and receive grace. That's my exhortation to you this year as well. Allow yourselves to be carried by someone else. When you're going through seasons of dryness, when you don't know where to turn, when whatever you do is not fixing the situation, it's the simplest picking up your phone, calling someone, texting someone on your house church, you know, emailing a pastor. Like there's a multitude of different ways. And in that moment, once again, the enemy is going to want you to think that, oh, It's just going to be such an inconvenience to someone. Like, I don't want to bother them. They look really busy. Like, oh, they seem to be, like, they seem to have their hands full. I shouldn't really bother them right now. That's what the enemy is going to say. And there's never going to be a perfect time once again. My encouragement is allow yourselves to receive help. Allow yourselves to be carried by someone else this year. For that, you know, in a year like this where it's not guaranteed that we can meet in this way. If I can say this, like, I don't know how much importance I can give to this, but like, please sign up for house church. Like, I don't know an easier way to get plugged in. I don't know an easier way to get connected, an easier way to regularly have someone check up on you. And you also check up on someone else. Please sign up for house church. This is really simple, but we can't, you know, kind of, you know, Abandon, I mean, like isolate ourselves and then wonder like, where's everybody? Like we can't do that to ourselves. We can't allow the devil to even corner us in that way. We need to be asking for help. We need to put ourselves out there. And this is my last question for us today as we look through this passage. Something that doesn't confront, you know, our our selfishness, and it doesn't confront our self-sufficiency, but it confronts our unbelief. Ultimately, at the end of the day, do you believe that Jesus can heal and forgive? Because where we run to in times of crisis and need, who we run to in those times, it actually reveals who we think they are. It reveals who we believe has the power to save. When we look at a child and they fall on the ground and they're bleeding, they've scraped their knee, who do they call for immediately? Mom, right? Sometimes dad, yes. Mostly mom, usually. You know, but in their minds, in their child minds, they're like, mom can fix anything. Like, you know, mom can make everything better. Obviously, like, I wouldn't call for someone else. I would call for mom, obviously, when I'm hurting. And in that same way, in that same way, who we turn to and who we believe God is will manifest in times of hardship. We can talk the big talk. We can repost scripture on social media. You know, we can know all the Christian songs by heart. We can do all that. But when push comes to shove and we need a breakthrough or someone else around, around us needs a breakthrough, if we rely on ourselves, on our own human efforts, that says everything that needs to be said about where our hope lies, where our faith is, who our confidence lies with. But if deep down we believe that God can heal, that he is faithful, that he loves and cares for us, that he has all might and all power, then of course we'll run to him, whether it's for our own healing or for someone else's. 
Because if we don't believe this, all this thing about carrying someone else or like allowing yourself to be carried, this is a moot point. Like it leads you nowhere, it leads you to a dead end. If ultimately doesn't bring someone before the throne of grace where all forgiveness is found, where all healing and wholeness and peace is found, then none of this matters. Now, can I submit to you a very unpopular idea? This past year of pandemics, and pandemic, singular, natural disasters, economic crisis, health concerns, etc., whatever it is that the shakings are, those things aren't causing the emptiness. They aren't causing the hopelessness. They aren't causing the anxiety or brokenness we feel. It's merely showcasing it. It's just revealing. It's bringing it to the surface. We walk around with the illusion that our natural state is okay. You know, that if, you know, if only the pandemic ended, if only the, the economy stabilized, if only the country reopened, if only my family changed or my boss was better, I'd have no problems, right? That's what we go around believing. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are broken and we need Jesus. And often life's hardships are a big sign that point us in that direction. Now, it hasn't been an easy last year, but at the same time, my hope is that we are walking away with two monumental, monumental realizations, just two, right? Two lessons from the year 2020 and hopefully the year 2021. Number one, life is unpredictable. Nothing's guaranteed. Life can always be put in neat boxes. We can't always go along with our five-year plan. Like it says in James, we cannot boast about tomorrow, for we do not know what it will bring. We don't know. So life is unpredictable and nothing is guaranteed. But second, God is unfailing. He is big enough to deal with our greatest anxieties, He's tender enough to love us through our most devastating losses. He is more gracious, more compassionate, more forgiving than we ever thought possible. He alone is God and there is no other. If we can walk away from this year just with those two realizations, just two things that we've taken away from all of this, life is unpredictable, but God never fails. Those two things, I feel like we, in our faith, in our spiritual walk, would be in such a different place. And that's my prayer for us as a community, that we would walk in that truth. Now, I'm going to close with this as I ask Pastor David and Isaac to come up to the front. You know, it's officially, although we don't officially celebrate it here, it is Lent season. Marking the 40 days leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And as I've read the accounts of the days leading up to the crucifixion, I'm actually struck with just how communal the process was, actually. Just how communal the journey was for Jesus. Because if I were in his shoes, and I knew that I was about to get betrayed, I knew that I was about to get abandoned by every single disciple, I knew that you know, in my time of greatest need, they wouldn't be there for me, you know, I, 
I'd say, all right, this is not the time for community. This is not the time for fellowship. This is not the time for ask to ask for prayer. There's so much I need to get done. And what's the use if they're going to be abandoning me anyway, right? That would be what I would say. But that's not what Jesus said. He said it is precisely now that community and fellowship is the most important. In his moments of greatest need, he actually invited people to join in. He invited people into his pain. He brought along people like Peter and John into the Garden of Gethsemane and said, stay here, stay here and watch with me. Now, why did Jesus say that? Why did the most perfect, most self-sufficient, most complete man in all of history say this? Why did he need people around him? Now, there could be many reasons for this. But my suspicion is that one of those reasons is that Jesus is showing us, showing us what it truly means to be human in the best sense of the word. You walk through things together. You go through pain together. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We learn to share our moments of greatest loss and anxiety. We invite people into that place so that we can also prepare them to share in our joy. Only those who have seen the hopelessness of death and crucifixion up close can truly marvel and rejoice at the resurrection and the empty tomb. Only those who have seen for themselves Jesus sweating drops of blood will be able to truly rejoice when they see that grave is empty. So as we go forth into the season, this is what I'm asking from this community. Let's do it together. Let's weather the storms together. Let's celebrate the breakthroughs together. Let's go beyond our selfishness and help carry someone else to their miracle. Let's go beyond our self-reliance and our pride to ask for prayer, to ask for company, to allow ourselves to be seen even in our weakness and even in our need. And above all, let's believe for God's healing power that confronts the works of darkness in our lives. His chain-breaking, shame-breaking forgiveness that sets us free to live as sons and daughters of God. My prayer is that as we do, as this community learns to walk in this way, carrying one another, allowing oneself to be carried, and all of that in the direction of Jesus, my prayer is that we will see miracles. As verse 12 says, they were amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. My prayer is that that would be the testimony of this church. Let's pray together.